think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 78 of the Boys in Short Pants, the 79th episode. I'm Laurent Carboneau. Oh, I'm Aiton Randville. It's been a while, sorry. Uh, it's, we've, it's, you know, it's the holidays. It's summer. Summer. You, you know how it goes. We've been doing other things with our lives last, last couple of months. I moved. Etienne moved. We brewed some beer. We brewed some beer, yeah. Corona Ambrose was a was a big hit. Uh, Mexican style cerveza, very delicious. In honor of NAFTA. Yes. Um, was it in honor of NAFTA? No. no. I don't remember agreeing to this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rana was on the NAFTA advisory committee. I'm just tying everything together here. Very good. Y'all want to make sure the, the strands come together. So... Uh, speaking of logistically complicated things, uh, we have a federal election coming up in about two months, give or take. I mean, what day are we? Yeah, two, more, yeah more or less. More more than that, but slightly. Like, I'm going to nod my head yes anyway. Sure. Um, and as I mentioned, logistically complicated, and uh, we had a court challenge uh, to make it more logistically complicated recently that uh, was recently decided against making it more logistically complicated. Jen, do you want to lead us off on our discussion of that? That's a really great and clarifying description. Well, I'll let you take it away. Um, so, in short, what it was, was there was a conservative uh, Jewish candidate. In Eglinton Lawrence, I believe. Okay. Well, yes. I didn't remember the the or the riding um who went to federal court to challenge the election date yes uh citing conf- uh conflict with uh jewish holidays yes and it conflicts with a theologically significant but liturgically and sort of ritually not that significant for most jewish people as in i know jewish people have to basically be like oh yeah that's a thing right um so it was you know i don't know what the equivalent would be mardi gras i guess Probably equivalent in, in significance to, to practicing Christians as, as Shrove Tuesday, something of that nature. Um, yeah. Like definitely a holiday, but not the first one you think of. So, long story short, uh, went to federal court. The federal court re- uh, ordered a review or ordered that the chief electoral officer uh, do a review, uh, which is not entirely dissimilar from the federal court making a similar ruling with the lobbying commissioner. Right. Uh, on, the, on the show. on the Khan case, mm-hmm. um, so electoral commissioner does this and puts out uh, his ruling, which was a fairly comprehensive account, comprehensive account of sort of the factors that he was weighing in this, and sort of the big one that jumped out to me uh, of note was uh, accessibility. Um, basically, he walks through his reasoning, and it comes down sort of. To the fact that booking uh, accessible voting locations is not, you know, the the easiest thing on earth for all 338 ridings and yeah. then all of the different polling stations in those ridings. Um, and that basically that's all lined up right now. And that if they were to move it, they would lose a significant number of those locations, uh, which would make them less accessible for people with disabilities, wheelchairs, etc. Um, so that, that was the trade-off. It was basically framed as a trade-off between a religious accommodation and accessible accommodation. Yeah. Um, with one being easier to mitigate under the circumstances saying that the options available in one case are finding a whole bunch of new locations, which is difficult where the available options available in the other one is 
special ballots, deferring advanced polling. Yeah, the, yeah, there was conflicts with the advanced polling dates as well, uh, but deferring to uh, special ballots in particular, which mm-hmm. allow you to vote basically any day of the writ. Yeah. Um, as basically the option available. Yeah, and, and you can special ballots include like the mail-in sort of options, uh, which I had to do in 2011. And in fact, only received my ballot on election day in 2011, oh, so yeah. I didn't actually vote in that election, uh, despite really Herculean efforts to do so. Frankly, um, it was it was a saga. And you've taken no opinion on the 20 on no, the, I on had, the government I, that I, resulted I, from, I from no that opinion. election. <laughs> I expressed no opinions between 2011 and 2015. Um, much like how Etienne is uh, constitutionally incapable of speaking about the Ontario government because he feels so bad about not having voted and not because he's embarrassed. Um, very different thing. That's, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah, it is uh, how it goes. Uh, but yes, in addition to the mail-in ballots, you can also just walk into your attorney office any day of the writ and say, hello, I'd like to vote. And um, then you can. Yeah, and... You, you get Which to... it's pretty great. If you live near a returning office and you know who you're voting for, I recommend doing it. Skip the lines. It's great. The only catch-22 is you have to, I believe, fill in the name of the person you'd like to vote for because the ballots aren't printed yet. That is correct. So um, make sure you know who the yeah, candidate bring, is. Bring, bring yeah. that information with you. Yes. Useful to know. Um, so, I mean, that's that. I think a lot of people, like, in a lazy summer Ottawa were like, oh, my God, everything's likely to be changed. But... I think people were just looking for something to get upset about. Yeah, fun- fundamentally, I think it was a bit of a long shot. The Parliament of Canada Act... No, not the Parliament of Canada Act. The Elections of Canada Act? Elections, just, the, just elections the Elections Act. Act. Yeah. Um, as amended, um, states that the fixed election date will be the... I think it's the third Monday of October. Um, and it also lays out a little bit of a process, which isn't entirely fleshed out, for the chief electoral officer to make a recommendation to the governor and council as to whether or not a uh, election uh, an electoral date should yeah. be moved for whatever reasons. Yes. Um, and then his recommendation has to be gazetted um, as to what day he would move it to. And then the governor and council has to uh, make a decision. And then they equally would have to publish the uh, their decision. Um, alas, none of this has occurred. I think there was a, a little pointing fingers at the chief electoral officer when ultimately it's largely a government and council decision. Yep. Um, almost regardless of the uh, chief electoral officer's position on it. Um, but I, I think at this stage, you know, the, the pie is baked. Something to keep in mind if a future government is so inclined uh, to change how our fixed election dates work or to reverse those changes as the uh, Westminster... Oh, you did, Ed, Ed, you did the Westminster thing West, again. Westminster adherence, perhaps among us, would uh, would have as their preference. Yeah, I don't really have strong feelings about fixed election dates versus non-fixed election dates. I know the. I think it's. I think the arguments against come from a kind of Westminster. Westminster, Jesus. Westminster. Uh, pure like purism kind of thing. Where yes. It's like, ooh, well, traditionally there are no fixed election dates, but frankly, like a fixed election date doesn't provide a baked-in advantage to the government of the day, which is, like, I think palpably a good thing. It's kind of everyone knows what the terrain is, and that's that. And, I mean, people say, oh, well, it leads to, once again, sort of snooty Westminster voice on, uh, it leads to the Americanization of our elections. Uh, but it's, like, people kind of know when they're going to be broadly, you know? Like, it's it's not really a surprise. Like, you get three, four years into a mandate, you're like, hey, maybe we should start thinking about election planning. It's, uh, I think the advantages are much overhyped, perhaps. Let, let me push back slightly. 
on uh, one, of, one of your points. I, I mean, I think it certainly does decrease the advantage to the government in some respects. Yeah, I mean, Sean Chrétien was sort of famous for just like, ooh, everyone else is looking away. Time to press the election button. And uh, Alberta was a very good oh, example yeah. of this. In uh, not post-Redford. Uh, post-Redford. Post-Redford. Uh, big boy uh, Jim Prentice. Pre- yes. Prentice's uh, election call was basically when the opposition were like searching around for leadership, right? Yeah, that worked out. Um, yeah, ultimately did not did not work out so well in that. Well, instance. actually, a good good counter example there as well is the uh, 2013, 2014, 2014 Quebec election, mm-hmm. where the PQ is like time to win this election on uh, <laughs> on the charter values. Well, and it's strong. like, oh, whoops, I guess we lost. Yeah, I think there's an interesting like, I mean, with modern polling, you have you have to wonder if perhaps that logic changes a little bit. Where yeah, because you have a better idea of a snapshot at any of, time. Yeah, yeah, of a government support than you did back in the day. So does that pr- perhaps provide unfair election to a modern government that you know what wasn't perceived of when this when the system was developed? The pushback <coughs> on the opposite side of that is that the fixed election dates do create a sort of weird lame duck period. Yes. Um, which very is the, much so. Which is the period that we're now in, um, and I think it's been compounded in some ways by some of the liberals' uh, election legislation. Um, in part, the creation of the pre-rip period, which we're sort of experimenting with for the first time, and I think is somewhat awkward, um, as it, you know, it already has it has third-party accountability and transparency. Yes, and I mean, uh, I rules in effect. I was not a big fan of receiving the the Ontario strong. Text messages. So, I mean, uh, I, I can see the argument for the pre-rate period. Um, but, uh, yes, it has created some difficulties. But at the same time, it creates a window in which the government's opponents have a spending cap. Well, yeah. Let, the government has a spending cap. Let's break that down a little more. Like, when you're in this 100 days before an election and you're in a, a political party, you're sort of starting to look at, like, okay, where are we going to send the, the leader during, you know, like a, a leader's tour like, what kinds of things are we going to be announcing? When and where are we going to be spending money? You know, and those plans sort of firm up as you get closer and closer to the election period. And hopefully by the time you get to the sort of, you know, E minus 36 or however many days the election is, then you you, you know what you're doing. Um, if one side gets the ability, or at least, you know, they have the ability, if one side has the knowledge of precisely when the election will begin, um, they have a little bit of an advantage there because they can sort of, make their spending etc plans in consequence of that whereas if you're right now with the new democrats and the conservatives you're like okay well if we book this for september 4th is that going to be in the rip period is that going to cut into our cap do we have the cap space where the liberals would go well we know because we're the ones with our hands on the button here so let me provide an additional uh, piece of that the government being the government um is you know in in the dying days of this session is going to be and they they have over the summer pushing out as many announcements as possible yes um trudeau was in british columbia to make one announcement he was, he was in nunavut last week he was in nunavut uh to make another etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. he's basically in full-blown campaign mode i love it when um news articles describe them as campaign style speeches Yes. Always a good laugh. So he's basically in full-blown campaign mode, traveling around the country, making the final announcements, which I don't 
necessarily begrudge. I, I think there's some begrudging to be done. Sure. It's kind um, of a balance because their offer is always going to be a little muddier than what the opposition parties are offering because they're sort of more constrained by their record, etc. So I don't begrudge the, um, like, using... There's there's kind of a balance here, right? Like you but, can be ridiculous about it, but one, one sec, let me let me expand on this point a tiny sure. bit. Um, the so the cap is two million dollars during this pre-campaign period until until the writ is uh, drawn up. Thank you. You know I'm pedantic about this. <laughs> I hate it. Um, Trudeau can jet around the country as much as he wants, doing government announcements campaigning on the government dime quite yeah. quite literally is what it is and i yeah. don't think anyone any reasonable person would really contest that no um, well, i'm sure they would but but the op- reasonable person um, person being reasonable let's say that <laughs> but the opposition meanwhile so andrew Shear, let's use him as an example any advertising work that the conservative party does including uh, andrew Shear, counts towards that cap right but the government gets to double dip. The government gets to do the official government announcements as well as the, the Liberal Party announcements yeah. during during this period. Um, so the Conservative Party, I think, is widely acknowledged to have more money. Can't because they're under this preemptory cap. Can't spend some of that money because of this uh, pre-election or pre-rip period. Mm-hmm. Um, so the government is able to blow basically a lot of taxpayers' money in advertising itself. Well, the uh, Conservative Party is hampered, the Conservative Party and the NDP, but I think it's less, less of a concern for the NDP, uh, is hampered by the cap sort of prematurely. And it's a reasonably low cap for a period that can be in the range of uh, yeah. from, from June 30th to September 15th, I think is the longest it can yeah, be. Which is, so one thing, and, and yeah, I mean, in a sense, it's kind of a reverse of what happened last time in 2015. 2015. Stephen Harper ended up calling the election early because, in large part, there was a fairly well-funded group uh, that was sort of a third-party advertiser funded by unions and sort of campaigning against the conservatives um, that he was like, well, shoot, if I don't want these guys to spend a ton of money, I'm going to have to just call this election early, uh, which puts, at that under the regime at the time, puts serious limits on third-party spending. Still does, obviously, but there were no restrictions on pre-rit in the same way. Um, whereas now we're kind of at the opposite situation where, like, the liberals are saying, hmm, we want to kind of drag this out because our monetary incentive is to restrict conservative spending. The one thing I... Well, actually, go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll bring this up afterwards. So the, the quick response to that is, yeah, it made for the interesting situation where the incentives um, in that period, and I mean, the, the Harper team must have made the calculation at the time, that they wanted to give up the tools of government. Because I'm, I'm not saying that they're like... That our government's hands were clean in that instance. Yeah, they either. were pretty. They were pretty notorious for the that, that, the old government advertising. You can still see the economic action plan ads <laughs> more or less everywhere. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah, um, but it's that fun. in that instance, they made the decision to basically give up the reins of government early and the yeah. reins of government announcements and all the rest of it in order to trigger the accountability and the spending caps of yes. the election. Now the incentives are different. Um, is the government incentivized to make the shortest rip period possible? Uh, some people, some people think so, and, and would say yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't really see what the argument for them going long is. Especially, I I'm not 100 percent certain that the conservatives do have more cash on hand. I know that their fundraising is typically higher, but they but it's do also spend, more expensive. They do spend yes. a lot more on the fundraising than anyone else does. So 
don't know if the cash on hand is really a huge factor there, and I don't know if the Conservative Party actually publicizes what their cash on hand is. None, none of the not, parties do. They're not do. required to do that. None of the parties do. Um, so I would be surprised. Um, and frankly, in terms of cash on hand stuff, most parties get a loan anyway, um, because you know, like it'd be silly to be like, "Ooh, whoops, but, I overdrew the Conservative Party checking account. This is a problem." <laughs> <laughs> most most parties do get a loan, but the, you can only get the loan. I yes, mean, the loan with is some sort of the loan is premised on the reimbursement that you get from Elections Canada. Yes. Uh, so your where the spending is actually expensive is. In the pre-rip period, correct before the actual election is called. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, and I don't think that the rules were amended as such to allow parties to receive reimbursement for their pre-pre-rip spending. Yeah, that would uh, be tough. I, I don't think that that's the case. So any dollar that goes out the door before the rent is out the door. Is out the door. Yeah. Any dollar that goes out the door during the rent is reimbursed to. However much the percentage 50, is. 50, 75%. It's a lot. You don't want to lose your deposit, folks. It's, uh, it's not good. Uh, you want to get that money back. It's very good for you. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really like from here on out, we are on basically just... I mean, it's August 6th as we're recording this today. Um, the election could start in as little as a month. I guess. So the earliest possible date is uh, September 1st. Okay, so yeah, and, and it's a little as a month. And the latest possible date is September 15th. The 15th, yeah. So. Um, so whether or not those two weeks, whether or not the government continues to like proceed with this lame duck period in order to squeeze more announcements out the door well, they sh- or and they not, sure are, right? I think is, is something yeah. to watch for. Um, frankly, to some degree, I think people tend to like to see shorter elections i think canadians have a sort of pride in themselves for having short election periods unlike you know the democratic primary being on its uh, fourth debate already i, I uh, do think there's something <laughs> to be said about when like for everyone in ottawa i think like mentally everyone's sort of in campaign mode uh political yes. staffers are leaving ministerial offices and offices all across ottawa to go campaign uh, people are making accommodations in ridings across Canada to stay with volunteers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think for the Canadian public, there's sort of a moment when the actual writ is dropped and the election is called. That they that, tune in. That is yeah. when they tune in and they're like, uh, they're prompted to start forming their political choice yeah. in a way that doesn't exist even five days before totally. an yeah. expected writ drop. Yeah, the whole framing of the drawing up of the writ versus uh, the sort of amorphous American campaign season is, I think, quite psychologically significant for voters. Um, though I'd love to actually see some research on that. That seems like a really interesting, like, you could do some, some surveys around that or something. Uh, or qualitative research, frankly. Some brain, cool. some brain scans. Yeah, get, get, get big boy David on the phone. See if uh, this is something he's interested in. <laughs> friend of the show david muskrap mr mr political brain stuff um uh, this seems like it'd be his speed so um i mean i, I think it, anyone would tell you this summer has been you know not not the most uh, action-packed in terms of political stories i think there, there's a little bit of a kerfuffle over the food guide yet again uh where um andrew Shear, uh i think it's fair to say uh stood up for the little guy the, the Canadian dairy farmer and the, the tyranny of, the, of big big food science and big nutrition. You're just, um, you're just saying that because you're anti-milk. I love milk. I think it's great. Um, I'm yeah, I'm French after all. It's good stuff. You know, you can make <laughs> cheese from it. You can make other stuff. Butter. It's, it's good. Yogurt. Uh, I love it. Uh, and the dairy farmers are by no means uh, holding me hostage. Uh, 
<gasps> and for sure, yeah, no, it's all good. We all love to see it, and uh, it's great. But um, the other thing I think has been a slightly interesting story because I, there's been a sort of a game of um, trying to make fetch a thing in the Canadian media for the last... That's quite the reference. Last five or six months uh, with Canada's favorite... Um, Small party, uh, green party. Nah, I, I wasn't sure where you were going. Yes, so I think there's been been a bit of a narrative over the last couple of months of, of, as I said, trying to make fetch happen with the greens. Um, they had some second quarter fundraising numbers that came out the other day that were looked pretty good for them. Uh, they had some polls a couple of months ago that showed them neck and neck with the NDP. That actually seems to have blunted significantly. I would say the the polling stuff and the fundraising stuff representing. Uh, to the end of a, June, a delayed. Yeah. So I think we, we that was capturing that sort of that peak of green momentum, and I want to talk a little bit about why that is. Please, uh, please do. I think Elizabeth May is a really bad leader, and I think that has a lot to do with it. <laughs> I think they've made one. So basically, the Green Party gets voters from two places by and large: people who vote for the Liberals and people who vote for the NDP. I, I contest that. I think they get a lot of conservative voters as well. Like you, for instance. <laughs> no. Etienne's uh, first, first vote in a federal election was for the Green Party. Little known fact. I, uh, I, I actually, don't know if we've said that on the show before. I, I No, I haven't. And it, it was a protest vote because I, in fact, did not want to vote because I was a moody... A moody teenager. Uh, a moody a first... A surly teen. A moody first-year university student. I see. Um... So, what? Which kind of conservative supporters are voting for the Green Party? I'm genuinely curious about this because I don't usually. I mean, I'm sure there are like your super green Tory, like conservation minded, like Michael Chong's granola eating cousin. I could see that, but like, how many of those people are there? So there, there's, I think, the polling, and you look through the polling and the composition of the Green Party. The Green Party actually has a little campaign video where they where they say as much, but. I've I've held this perspective and you know. Oh, I, I know they, they sort of pitch themselves as being neither left but, nor right. But it, blah, but blah, blah, it's, blah, it's certainly stuff. grounded in fact. I think it's in part because um, when uh, conservative party voters or conservative voters or conservatively inclined want somewhere to park their vote in protest. Okay. Um, it's less ideologically conflicting than the NDP, and if you vote for the Liberals, there's a serious risk that you're going to elect a Liberal. Essentially, yes. Um, that it that it becomes a convenient place for voters to park when they are saying none of the above. Yes. Okay, but that's um, not that, that really it, that sincere is support, in fact yeah. that it, it is in fact the none of the above option. Yes. Um, and for Tories who are inclined towards more uh, green support than perhaps they, they see in the party at any given moment, that's also another reason for them to, to park their vote with the Greens. Uh, I think it's actually, like, I think statistically it's in pretty roughly even numbers from all three parties. Is it really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, so I, I would just contest you on that, but I, I let you proceed to finish your sure. point. Uh, well, I'll, let me let me have a small digression in light of that, um, which is if you look at kind of the historical experience of green parties across much of the sort of industrialized democratic world, what you see is green parties coming out of fairly stringent political ecologists. So people who have a very, and I would say genuinely like neither left or right um, understanding of politics that come at it really from a, a sincere political ecological perspective. 
Um, and people who are sort of conservation-minded conservatives, if you look at the German Green Party in particular, you have a lot of those people sort of getting involved early on, the Australian too, because they sort of gotten started around um, protests about a dam in Tasmania, um, and it drew a lot of farmers and that kind of stuff. So you get have that, and then what happens is the conservatives leave, because the political ecologists are a little too uh, on it in terms of the, the green stuff. Um, not to say, no, actually I came out really wrong. Not to say they smoke weed. It's just that they're very, very committed <laughs> political ecologists. So sorry. Just to, yeah, resolve that ambiguity. And then what happens is that they kind of get, they attract disaffected voters from social democratic parties. So if actually you look at German politics again right now, uh, the Greens are polling in second place and seem to have basically supplanted the SPD, which is sort of the, the long, long suffering German social democratic party. Um, and if Australia, you kind of see similar things, disaffected labor voters going to the Greens, etc. Canada has not seen that pattern in quite the same way. The Green parties remained a little more idiosyncratic. Uh, and I think the lack of proportional representation is to blame for some of that because sure. it makes the Greens a less attractive option for people looking for a sort of different option than what they're getting from the Greens or the Liberals, Conservatives and NDP. Um, so fair enough. There are structural factors there that I think are, are interesting. Um, but to circle back to what's going on at the Greens right now, I think, uh, and the point I was going to make is that uh, they have made two really bad partisan blunders in the last couple of weeks, uh, slash month or two. One was, as they were roundly mocked for on Twitter and elsewhere, hiring Warren Kinsella, friend of the show, as a, <laughs> <laughs> as a peace room advisor, um, because he said... Yeah, the, the Harmony Room. Yes, as the Greens said, uh, it's not the War Room, it's the Harmony Room or Peace Room or something. Um, this brought them the ire of uh, the scolds of liberal Twitter, who to, to whom... Uh, Warren Kinsella is persona non grata for his perceived role as puppet master in the SNC Lavalin affair, <laughs> uh, which I, for the record, think is a ridiculous thing to say, but there you go. Uh, I'm sure that Warren will take credit for it someday. He does seem to want no, to he, do that he, kind of thing. He has but... submitted a signed affidavit having yeah. no. Uh, no influence? No influence or no role in advising JWR. And that is some really good Kinsella dramatics there. Um. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so all to say that that on two levels, first of all, alienated people who are liberal, sympathetic, who um, saw, you know, more or less, I, to put it crudely, sided with the liberals during the, the government, during the, the SNC-Lavalin affair. Um, and also, I think, really cut into the notion that they are somehow doing politics differently, as they often say, <laughs> because they hired like the most notorious, like throat cutting political hatchet man who's had some things to say about doing politics differently yes and he's yes and he's said <laughs> some things with the green party too in the past um it's, he's worked for for the liberals he's worked for ndp aligned people he worked at olivia chow's mayoral he's campaign worked for conservative he's worked for, oh has he yeah john tory oh right I, of course if i'm not mistaken wait oh yeah different campaigns right oh man i'm oh okay Let's think about how how much how much time has elapsed in the world um yeah so at any rate yes he's and he has donated money to the fords etc i think the max this year to doug ford at any rate when you want to look like the principal party of doing things differently hiring this sort of political chameleon um is not really the way to do that and i, I think it, it did hurt them uh yes i mean and it 
it goes. Uh, it's worth noting as an update that the uh, the Harmony Room has <laughs> since uh, issued a press release <laughs> saying that his work is complete and he is no longer working for them. Yes. Um, so the idea was somewhat of a setting up of a war room because the Greens were going to be attacked this year uh, more than they ever had in the past, and they wanted to be prepared. And Warren Kinsella was the guy for the job. Yes. Um, a defensive war room. This is... Imagine no line. The, the internal logic of this is somewhat questionable. Um, also, just the let's hire the guy from the 90s to set up the modern social media room is sort of not the direction I would take things if I were the Green Party. Um, also, just this... The, the stated need is somewhat like an Age of Empires game more so than, <laughs> than, than in real life. Like, Gotta protect those sheep. Yeah, we need to install bombard cannons to protect yeah. it. Like, it's just not like... Yeah, it's a bit weird. It's not really the way I I mean, having a things. rapid response operation in general is like not a dumb thing, but I don't really know why work and sell had to be involved in. I, I'm surprised no one at any point sort of was like, will this look bad? Because it did. Um, so anyway, that... Let's put that well, let me, aside. Can I, can I talk about the second uh, yes, big Achilles please. heel? So the second big Achilles heel um, that the Green Party has is indigenous issues. Uh, they have been taken to task many times for a very thin platform uh, on indigenous issues. And it's probably fair to say the Green Party has not reacted well to this. The, do you care to give the example? Sure. So Robert Jago wrote a piece a couple months ago um, about the Green Indigenous platform sort of going through point by point and saying, here are the issues with this. It clearly wasn't co-developed or really even in consultation with Indigenous people. Um, and then they kind of like wrote snippy like press releases replying to it instead of improving the platform. Uh, and then last week, was it last week? Time is Time is just such a thing these days. Um, the uh, Elizabeth May came out saying that they should, sorry, they, the federal government should, um, basically give or make SNC-Lavalin do, uh, water infrastructure for First Nations reserves, which rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Yeah, this... This just isn't how our justice system works. It's not, it's not our justice system, and it also basically sends a message, like, oh, it's okay, you get to do hard time in the reserves, you know? Like, instead of... It, it just sends the message that it's like you are the penal duty and not, like, the government has a treaty and constitutional obligation to provide infrastructure. And it just... It, I think it, it completely misconceives the relationship that the federal government and indigenous people have yeah like, the, you're not a penal colony for for canadian com- corporate criminals or like, communities yeah exactly like, like it's not that you're not there to pad your resume so you can go to harvard like it's a yeah it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way i think for for very understandable reasons because it was a little grotesque in that way it also just doesn't make any it also sense doesn't make a lot of sense i mean if we're talking about interference in the justice system like this is not, yeah, anyway, it's, it's, there's a lot going on there, I think it's fair to say. Prime Minister Elizabeth May is going to talk to the Public Prosecution Service and yes. direct them. Yes, exactly. To, um, like, what, or the judge what, what are the, for sentencing. Like, well, <laughs> depends if it's a sentence or a well, yes. bargain and position. Then, and then but... they came out, and this is sort of less to the point of why their people's enthusiasm for them has blunted and more for how poorly they've handled these very predictable errors, is she came out and said, 
oh, well, I was just throwing ideas around. And it's like, it, you're two months out from an election. You've been a party leader since I was in middle school. There's not really the room for you to do that right now. Or really ever, but especially right now. No, it, it does seem like a blunder. I, I would, so I hesitate a little bit to link either of these things to green momentum broadly um because i just see them as micro things yeah i think that's that's this this thing is not likely to really impact people no and i don't i don't think most people heard of them but i would say and i think you're right i think they're, they're emblematic of the reasons why people are getting turned off and that they haven't been able to capitalize because they are a little weird and I mean, for one, it's that they haven't had the sort of machinery, staffing, et cetera, to sort of capitalize on on their kind of lift in the polls with with more material, that kind of stuff. But also, I think they just react quite badly to any kind of adversity in general. Yeah, and I th- I think so. You you referenced earlier on making fetch happen. I think they're like Elizabeth May has been given a tremendous spotlight going into this election. Yes. Um, Really, most of it I don't interpret to have been her doing. It's sort of reactive to Greens at provincial levels. Yeah, so yes, and that's fair to mention in context that there is, of course, the, the sort of ongoing <clears throat> Green participation in the Supply and Confidence Agreement in British Columbia, the sort of Green pickup of seats and then becoming official opposition in uh, in PEI, them winning three seats in New Brunswick. Um, so, so this momentum at the provincial levels, I think, has turned eyes towards Elizabeth May. Yes, and has given her a boost in profile. Much, much as to Ch- be fair, Ch- chicken or the egg here. Yeah, um, the Alberta, not... the election of the Alberta NDP in the summer of 2015 really did a lot of good for the federal NDP's chances there. I think it, it sort of demonstrated, as happened with the provincial Greens, that oh, wow, the NDP, if the NDP can win in Alberta, can win anywhere, right? And I think that, that did them a lot of good. So fair enough, that, that is kind of the way she goes. But yes, uh, they clearly have not been able to capitalize on it uh, in the same way. So, yeah, and I, and I think as we go forward, I mean, Elizabeth May will, uh, for all intents and purposes, be in the debate. Yes. Um, so her profile will be boosted there. Um, I mean, she's been in it before, but yes. nonetheless, uh, compared to Maxine Bernier and others who won't be in the debate, she'll she'll certainly have her opportunity to shine. Um, is this the year in which the Greens gain, you know, party status? Um, I'm doubtful. I, I think the Greens actually maybe do three seats. Yeah. I, I just don't think there's the efficiency for the Greens. Um, I think the interesting case, <coughs> excuse me, is... Uh, if the Greens have, you know, if, if they maintain 10%, I think some of the 10% nationally, I think some of the uh, ridings, the traditional riding math, I think it's really interesting when they suddenly become a 10% block across like, yeah, yeah, three-way races, four-way races, what have you. I think it makes other ridings not necessarily green winnable, um, but sort of rolls the dice on which which other party can capitalize on it. Sure. <laughs> Excuse me. And where um, the Greens, I think, have a particular strength, like Vancouver Island, I think it's fair to say, that's where all the provincial seats are, that's where Elizabeth May is, um, it makes math more complicated if you're in a competitive two-party race with the Greens sort of running a strong third. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I think that's fair to say. I think that will make the will... television pundit's job a lot harder. Oh, um, oh <laughs> pity them. Oh, on, on election day. <laughs> Truly one of the, the most difficult jobs in, in Canadian political <laughs> life. It's uh, I, I salute their sacrifice. My, my grandfather died in the content mines. It's, uh, 
Um, the only other point I would make in talking about the greens as we, I mean, as we finish this uh, discussion of them, because we really haven't discussed them much over uh, over the past two I, years. And I think it's fair to say largely because they've been fairly invisible and relevant <laughs> for most of that period at the, on the federal stage. Yes. I don't, I don't mean that to just be gratuitously mean. It's just like they haven't really steered the conversation on any issues in particular. Like Elizabeth May has been not that visible. I think I think there's a soft spot in a lot of Ottawa journalists' hearts for Elizabeth May um, because of, she's very quotable. Um, she's very quotable. She's very available. <laughs> yes, um, but also just um, she often stands up in question period or in the house and uh, chimes in on behalf of the better angels of sure and says you know very nice things. Uh, calling for more, you know, respect Niceness. and being able to hear and all of these other things yeah. um, that endears her to a lot of journalists. Um, but <laughs> when it comes to the substance of it, um, like the Greens release, what, Mission Possible? Yes. Um, their 20-point plan. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, their 20-point plan, that's sort of the framework for their platform, similar-ish, not really. Uh, to what the NDP released. Yeah. No, um, the, the NDP's... Uh, I mean, similar... New Deal for People. Yeah. Was, uh, the NDP's was like 150-whatever pages. Yeah. Um, more, well, yeah. The mission, mission Possible is specifically about climate. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's their 20-point climate plan, basically. The, the comparable point would be the... the uh, what, what do you call it? Power to Change, the, the NDP sort of climate document that was released beforehand. Okay. I'm, yes. Well, I'm, that was a similar time. I'm personally less familiar with it. Yeah. Um, but so they've released that. They've promised that the uh, PBO is going to do a costing of maybe the full thing. I don't know that. Hopefully or, they're jet Or many, many significant time. measures at, at the very least. Um, but, uh, I think Andrew Leach did a pretty good takedown of the Greens climate platform, um, picking it apart. In fairness, it was not the platform. The, the or sorry. Yeah, it was it sort was, of her comments in it, interviews surrounding it. it. It was a combination of the Mission Impossible document as well as drawing heavily upon an interview she actually did with yes. David Mosscrop in the Washington Post. And one she did with Paul Wells as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, again, a highlight of the, uh more significant media coverage and attention she's getting in advance of this election. And fair to say as well that the mission possible document was fairly thin on detail. Uh, yes. I yeah. mean, it's two line statements basically for yes. each of the 20 points. Um, but I found some of the points almost laughable. Um, the You definitely laughed at some of them. <laughs> I think of the water bombers. Though. Yes, I am. Yeah. The replace F-35s with water bombers was, I thought, funny. It was kind of funny. Let's, let's just call it that. Less likely to kill its pilots than the F thirty five, admittedly. <laughs> so there is that. But the after, but the water bombs aren't invisible. That is true. Um, I think that will probably do it for us today. In what is a relatively short episode, clocking in just a, just under forty minutes. So by the time we actually finish this up, it'll probably be just over forty minutes. As the jalapenos are burning my eyes. Yeah, we got a little jalapeno vapor in here, guys. It's uh, it's making this. Uh, you know, podcasting. We we suffer for the art. Really, I think that's what it's about. It's about showing up, making the sacrifices you got to make, um, and that's okay. That's what that's the that we love you so much. This, this is what we do. This you know, is what our we loyal get listeners for criticizing Mother Earth's party. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I will release the vapors. <laughs> um, <coughs> sorry, you're really going to bear with us on on the coughing. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Short Pants Pod. 
You can subscribe to this lovely podcast anywhere fine podcasts are downloaded. You can also review us on any of these platforms, and in fact, that is much appreciated, particularly if you're a user of the old iTunes, because that is a high-visibility storefront, and uh, we like to, be, like to be on it. Um, on a programming note, we are actually probably not going to do another episode. We might do another one between now and the writ, um, but if we don't, that will actually be it between now and the end of the writ. Uh, we will both be busy with with various various commitments during that time period. Campaigny like things. Um, so our our time for podcasting uh, will be will be somewhat stretched. Uh, I'm sure we will have a great conversation afterwards about everything that happened in the last uh, however long it ends up being. And uh, with that, we'll sign off and uh, enjoy the rest of your summers. But but to be clear, to be clear, we'll, we'll probably be back after the writ. Or not after the rip, after the election. Well, yeah, that's after the rip. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, yeah, we will. I'm just reaffirming that we're not. Yeah, don't worry. We're not. We're not. Gonna, we're not leaving for smokes and never coming back. Besides, we've gotten enough smoke in our system right now. <laughs> I think we're, we're fine on that. Very good. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye.